Thanks for taking the time to listen to this NHS Employers podcast. For all the latest NHS HR workforce information, visit www.nhsemployers.org. Hello and welcome to the first podcast from the NHS Employers Organisation. I'm Sue Koval and I'm the Director of Employment Services here at NHS Employers. For this podcast, I'm joined by our Chief Executive, Dean Royals, and the Managing Director of the NHS Leadership Academy, Jan Sabirai. During this podcast, we'll be discussing the leadership and OD challenges the NHS faces following the publication of the Francis Report from the Mid-Staffordshire Foundation Trust. Before we start with the discussions, perhaps we can begin with some introductions. Dean, perhaps you can tell us a little about yourself and your role as NHS employers. Yeah, well, my name's uh, Dean Royals. I've been at NHS Employers now for uh, a little over uh, two years. I'm what you might call a lifelong uh, NHSer, so I spent all my HR career uh, working in various NHS organisations. And here at NHS Employers, uh, we're responsible for uh, doing all the pay and pension negotiations. Uh, but what a lot of people use us for is uh, providing uh, advice and information and support on good people management. So we try and promote that through our website and through the use of social media. That's great, Dean. Thanks very much. And Jan, perhaps you could tell us about yourself and about your role at the Leadership Academy. Thanks, Sue. Uh, so I'm Jan Sevieri, and I was appointed last year as the Managing Director of the Academy. Uh, before that, I was the Managing Director of Workforce at the Department of Health on Comment from NHS Sheffield, a uh, PCT, where I was Chief Executive. And prior to that, I've had uh, a lot of experience and a lot of opportunity as a Chief Executive and Director in the NHS in provider organisations. And the Academy was uh, born last year to improve leadership throughout the NHS. So we're a national organisation, we have local hubs, we call them local delivery partners, and our job is to develop outstanding leaders who in turn can improve the care and safety of our patients. That's great, thank you both. I just wanted to to start by quoting briefly from the the Francis Inquiry report. This is the section on leadership. And Francis says that effective leadership was a feature significantly lacking at the Mid-Staffordshire FT during the period under review. And he goes on to say that in order for common culture to take root and grow, the healthcare system needs leaders who can adopt and promote the common values of the NHS and have the competence and skills to take forward the complex task of delivering health services to the public. And Dean, there's a lot in the report, isn't there, about culture, about fostering a common culture shared by all of us, putting patients first. Where on earth do we start with such a huge issue? Well, when we're talking about uh, uh, culture, it's really important to me that uh, when people say we need to change the culture, is that there's a common understanding of what that culture needs to be. So there's a bit of a shorthand, I think, being used around uh, the Francis Report at the moment, which is it's all about culture. And I think everyone has their own idea of what the solution should be around that. So I think when you're looking at culture and looking to change culture in organisations, first of all, try and get a sort of common understanding of what it is that you're trying to uh, achieve uh, through that, because if not, everyone will be working to uh, different outcomes. Uh, And then, of course, uh, culture in the NHS and organisations that are uh, people rich like the NHS is really all about people. Uh, the way that we manage people, the way that we lead people, the way that we recruit people. So we've got to get that sorted 
um, effectively within the organisations and then get people aligned around some common values that can be expressed uh, through that organisation. And many people use the NHS constitution, uh, some people use it in its raw form, uh, other people have taken things like the NHS constitution to develop their own uh, values that they can uh, work to. So that to me is uh, where you would start, uh, looking at the people, getting a common understanding of uh, culture and then trying to get your systems and processes in place that are right, uh, uh, aligned around the values. Thanks Dean, I mean that's a, that's a really good concise way of looking at this, the size of the task and chunking it up. But Jan, how will we know when we've got it right do you think? I'm not sure we ever will really, but I think a good start would be to ask our patients. Uh, I think. Uh, the Midstaff Report, which as we know is a harrowing read, is all around failure. Uh, and we know that's not the case elsewhere. Uh, we have a, a tremendous amount of information available to us now, um, more and more coming forward around patients' experiences and their outcomes. And I think a good start uh, would be to ask our patients and look at the data. Uh, there are also other measures like the staff survey we've, we've seen very recently, which are fantastic indicators, uh, very high levels of uh, responders to that around how our staff are feeling. So I think we can look to those indicators and to lots of the other data of course around performance to look at how uh, progress is being made. But for me ultimately it's down to uh, what our patients are telling us. That's really helpful, thanks very much indeed. And Dean, you've written a lot about Francis and the Francis Inquiry being the biggest OD challenge facing the NHS. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, I mean, I think it, this is a, uh, a, I mean, it was a tragic report and anyone that read either the first Francis report uh, or has looked in detail at this one um, is, is going to be shocked by the sorts of things that they uh, read, particularly if you work in the uh, NHS, um, that these sorts of things can uh, happen. Uh, so it's right that we've had a report that's looked in detail at what some of the issues were, what some of the failings were and how those might be corrected but what we've got with the Francis report is an enormous now report something like 2,000 uh, pages and 290 uh, recommendations and I think that the Department of Health uh, has an almost impossible task to try and respond to that quickly and effectively so I think people want to see movement and direction but I think that we also need to make sure that we're focusing on the right things so I know the department will be responding uh, but I think that we also need to um, counsel that we get the right responses in a considered way uh, coming out. Uh, but, the, but I take it and then say, if you put all that to, to one side, all those 290 recommendations uh, to one side, what you're left with when you look at it is an enormous opportunity for uh, organisations to look at the organisation development challenge that they're left with. Really what we're looking at is um, you know, how we recruit people, how we select people, how we appraise people, how we train and develop those people, how we manage and supervise those people, and how we lead those people. And if we can get that right, uh, we can start to focus on uh, some of the fundamental changes that we need to get within our organisations and rebuild the confidence that we've got to give those members of the public. Thanks, Dean. And Jan, any thoughts yourself around the, the OD challenge facing the service at the moment? I think uh, Dean is absolutely right. Um, and in his earlier response, he talked about uh, the importance of values in this um, I was uh, bored one rainy Sunday afternoon recently and I was uh, looking at various websites uh, and looking at values and I was a little bit shocked to be honest. Lots of our organisations don't have stated values. Some do but I, in my, in my uh, view have a very hard, uh, set of motherhood and apple pie statements and some are very good. 
So a good start, I think, is for organisations to consider, without, without re- waiting for these responses from government, but uh, getting on and looking at their values and doing work internally. And I know some of the organisations I work with are already doing that. So I think it's a, it is an opportunity. Um, the, uh, the view is that this is around culture. The reality is there are various cultures already in the system and organisations have all sorts of mixes. And a lot of those will be really good. So I think, um, well, I'll be urging uh, listeners to this and elsewhere to say, let's not wait, let's take action. Um, there is, it's very clear what we have to do, but we know that as a system, we know that as employers. So there are some things we don't need to wait for. So a really important call to action there from, from Jan. Absolutely. And Jan, in, in previous roles that, that you've, you've undertaken, have you experienced culture change and has that started with values too? Well, when I read the report, it reminded me that I was a chief exec in a similar sized trust at the time. And, and, I, and as I read it, and I read Francis one back in 2010, it got me to think, even though I wasn't personally involved in uh, mid-staffs as a, an organisation or the area, what I was doing in my organisation. And um, I can't hold my hand up to say it was perfect and we didn't do uh, everything we should. Um, so I'm part of the cultural uh, expectation, the cultural norms uh, now. Um, I think we've moved on a lot. So one of the things that I think we've moved on a lot in the NHS is around information availability. Uh, and we've heard lots around uh, patient outcome measures. And we've improved enormously. And I think we've got a lot of data overload now. And I think one of the challenges of our leaders and of our cultures is how do we sift through some of the intensity. And I'm really pleased that Mike Farrell through the NHS Confed has been asked to carry out a bureaucracy review because I can... I have a fear that the pendulum might swing the other way at this point as a response to Francis and be becoming very data intense and we paralyse organisations around that and I think it's an opportunity to use our data wisely and I'm sure lots of good organisations are already doing that. Um, but for me, fundamentally, this is a leadership challenge and this is not necessarily just top of the office, this is the leaders at all levels. So in my career and going back to my time in the service, I've been inspired, impressed with leaders at all sorts of levels who have done remarkable things, almost in spite of expectations and, and in spite of what we do to them. Uh, and I think this is a call to action for our leaders who probably know what they need to do. So the job of the academy is to support leaders at all levels. So we, although we are developing a number of programmes, our impact needs to be greater than I've been a leadership academy programme. So one of the things I think we're quite proud about over the last few months is having over 50,000 people who have accessed our website and downloaded a 360 degree assessment on their leadership behaviours. So these are people who have got interested in their behaviour, they want to know more about how they're interacting with their partners, their colleagues, their uh, people at work and as Steen rightly says it's a, we're a people business so understanding how people interact is really important. So with that sort of number and that sort of intensity, I think we've got a way forward. But I think fundamentally this is about supporting leaders to do what they think is right and what we know is right around encouraging and changing uh, the, the way that our patients receive services. I think 50,000 hits in, in, in that way on, on the website is really impressive. And Dean, there's been a lot of debate, hasn't there, around um, the appropriate leadership style to support cultural change. I wonder if you could just share some thoughts on that. Yeah, and I have to say, uh, by the way, that the recent announcements by the uh, Academy are uh, enormously uh, timely. I know that a great deal of work has gone into uh, developing the programmes that have 
uh, have now been launched. Um, in fact, I know when um, we talked a couple of years ago about the changes that are taking place uh, in the NHS, both from the uh, financial pressures the public sector faces and the Health and Social Care Act, um, that people talked about, you know, this being an organisational change so big that you could see it from uh, space. Well, I, I think that the work that the Academy is doing around the leadership programmes are so big that you can see them from the uh, moon. So I'm sure that they will start to bite uh, soon. And I guess one of the sorts of issues that has come out around uh, uh, Francis, and maybe just the way that we are in terms of the development of the uh, cycle, is that the NHS has made enormous progress in lots of areas uh, in terms of proving, uh, improving access uh, to patient care and improving the quality of uh, patient care. Uh, so uh, waiting times, for example, have come down significantly uh, over the last uh, number of years. And uh, I guess what people have done is uh, look at that and see how that's achieved and said that there's, a, there's been a dominant style in the NHS to achieve that, uh, which has been described as sort of pace setting, you know, sort of getting up and go and let's sort of go and try and achieve these, uh, uh, these uh, ambitious uh, efforts for the uh, uh, NHS. But as we move forward, as we uh, increasingly recruit a new generation of leaders into our organisations, we need um, much more um, uh, clubs in our, uh, uh, you know, to sort of work with rather than just a, you know, a pace setting style. So uh, increasingly we need uh, leaders that can adapt to the changing circumstances that they face, that uh, they can build consensus more, that they can be more collaborative leaders, that they can work across uh, organisational uh, boundaries and I think that we see that sort of coming out in the way that uh, people respond to the leadership challenge and uh, you know how they lift their eyes to the sort of vision in the future uh, through being inspired to do the things that they want to do to improve patient care not simply because they want to get on and do it uh, so I think that is a great opportunity that we uh, that we have on the back of both that financial challenge the health and social care act and now Francis all coming together and using that as a uh, a real opportunity to get momentum into what we're doing around sort of leadership development. Thanks, Dean. So, so Jan, more more clubs in our golf bag to to, to pick and choose from. W would you agree that we need a more contingent style of leadership going forward? Well, we know from all the international evidence that uh, leaders in whatever sector have the ability to flex their style. So, I would be horrified at the prospect of losing a pace setting style because that will t carry on, uh, particularly in fin difficult financial circumstances. Um, uh, and help the, uh, uh, the delivery of all sorts of performance and, uh, and quality issues. So we don't have to lose pace setting. What we need is breadth and depth. Uh, we've got the evidence from our top leaders programme of what our top leaders are like and we're already finding, even though it's very early, that through our development programmes, particularly the top leaders one, that through that support, top leaders are learning how to flex their style and use different styles at appropriate times. So one of the big indicators for me as we develop more decentralised models of governance in the NHS through CCGs and more foundation trusts, we want to ensure that our leaders have greater vision. There is, I think, fantastic opportunities, uh, whether it be through CCGs or health and wellbeing boards, to shape local services to fit, fit to local circumstances far more than ever before. That requires leaders to have an ability to set directions, set vision and inspire and create that with, with colleagues. Um, we know that engaging staff leads to much, great, uh, much better care and you know, the, the, the Dawson and West research demonstrates that really well. But you look at the staff survey results and we've got a long way to go. I think the recent staff survey results from 2012 showed that 
around 27% of staff felt that they, they, they were engaged fully in big decisions. Now that's something that I particularly look to as an indicator uh, in terms of success of our programmes because we want our leaders to find ways despite the difficult circumstances and the pace and pressure which I know exists to engage staff and by doing that the staff we know will feel more informed and will feel they can bring more creativity and innovation to, to uh, change and improvement. Um, of course, the, the challenges are enormous. We know that the financial pressures going forward and the demo, demographic changes are huge. So for me, some of the big indicators around this is um, how we innovate. And I'll bring something maybe a little bit controversial in terms of this, which is around how diverse our leaders are. Uh, we've done well in some areas over the last few years, but we have a long way to go to really have a leadership community that represents its, communi its communities. And for me, that's a, it's not a numbers game, it's about bringing the difference, both of cultural expectation, of experiences, of perceptions, into the way we deliver services. So one of the things I'll be looking for is making sure we have a much more diverse uh, leadership community going forward. So Dean, a more diverse leadership community, people able to innovate, leaders able to flex their style appropriately. Is that a message both for the ward and the board, do you think? Absolutely. Uh, I mean, these sorts of uh, uh, messages and how we respond to them uh, aren't just for a few people in organisations. We're never going to change uh, culture uh, with this sort of idea that there's one or two heroic people in organisations that can go and shift it. We've really got to move on from that and have a much more distributed uh, leadership uh, approach. Uh, what most of our staff recognise is what influences the way they work is the people they work directly with and their immediate manager. And those immediate managers have a leadership role. Uh, so we need to get that uh, you know, embedded through all our organisations that we can uh, really improve um, the way that people are valued within organisations and the services that they uh, give. So that is important from the ward right through uh, to the uh, board, but also important. I mean, our organisations are, you know, very disparate organisations. You know, we have uh, some NHS trusts with, you know, ten or fifteen thousand uh, people in there that keep those services uh, running. So uh, we need these similar sorts of things to be applying in our sort of engineering departments and uh, the people that are uh, supervising the sort of plumbers and the joiners and the electricians. The um, the NHS has one of the, the the world's largest IT workforces. You know, we've got to make sure that they feel uh, sort of led and valued as well as those people that are offering uh, direct patient care. So I, I do think we have got some opportunities uh, in which to do that and to recognise that more uh, distributed style is going to be important. And of course, in all those places, we do have a very diverse uh, workforce that are enormously uh, talented. And if we could uh, shine a light into some of those sort of corners in organisations, maybe the public don't uh, necessarily see of as, as being sort of uh, you know health service provision, uh, we can maybe bring some people up from those uh, organisations into uh, roles that they themselves hadn't necessarily perceived. Um, but if we can find the talent like that in organisations, wherever it sits, I think we can sort of move forward considerably as an NHS. Thanks very much, Dean. I wanted to turn now more to issues around leadership development. And Jan, we know that the um, NHS Leadership Academy has developed a framework for developing top leaders. Does this need to change following Francis, do you think? Well, the current leadership framework was born out of the old leadership qualities framework, which I think was produced in about 2002. Uh, so what we've seen over the last 10 years or so is a constantly evolving and developing framework. So I'm absolutely convinced it needs to change because it needs to take account of best practice in healthcare and outside of healthcare. 
And we've already announced that our leadership framework will be looked at as part of our response to Francis, but we wanted to do that anyway. Uh, I think the France report says let's uh, ensure we have a domain around patient safety. So um, I don't think we'll actually do that because I don't think we'll be targeting a particular area in terms of leadership competence. What we do need to reflect, I think, is around the need for our leaders to have much more uh, have much more compassionate and caring approach to the way they they lead. So we've already put in train uh, a review, uh, we're calling it a refresh of our leadership framework as part of our rollout of our core programmes. So when in September our first core programmes uh, uh, come to fruition, and these are very high numbers of staff going through three levels of programme, they'll be supported by a slightly changed and slightly improved leadership framework. Thanks, Jan, that was really helpful. And I'm sure our listeners would be really interested in hearing more about the process of refreshing the framework. So the current leadership framework um, has been drafted and developed over a number of years with the help of clinicians and patients. And that's a really important fundamental principle that we'll be taking forward. So at the moment, the leadership framework is recognised by most of the clinical professional groups as a really important tool for the development of their professions. So all the way through from undergraduate training and registration all the way through to postgraduate training. So as we go forward to refresh our leadership framework, we'll continue to work very closely with those clinical professional groups and of course our patients to make sure the framework is up to date and appropriate going forward. That's lovely. And would you be able to tell us a little bit more about the, the process for the refresh? I'm sure our listeners would be interested. Yeah, well, the beauty of the current leadership framework is that it was crafted with the help of staff, uh, particularly clinical staff. So the leadership framework um, is supported by, I think, every single clinical professional group. We want to maintain that. It's really fundamental that this uh, framework is seen as an uh, empowering document uh, all the way through from very early stages of pre-registration training all the way through to very senior levels. So uh, we'll be going through an exercise with our partners to craft that. And it, I don't think it'll be a whole scale change, it'll be tweaking more than fundamental change and we'll be involving all of our partners over the next few months. Sounds really exciting. Dean, do you think there's um, learning that we can take from other sectors or other organisations around leadership development? I think it would be naive of any uh, organisation to think uh, that it, it can't learn from other uh, sectors. Uh, the NHS is uh, an enormous organisation, 1.3 million staff, and we have some fantastic uh, talent within the NHS and some great leaders uh, that make people's lives better every day. And I think we should celebrate that with other organisations, but I think we should also look at uh, organisations that work in uh, safety areas, uh, you know, where safety is uh, crucial, uh, organisations where there are uh, l you know, labour-intensive, people-rich uh, organisations to see how they go about doing things. Um, there's things that we can learn and things that we can share. And I think if we do that in a very open way, we're bound to pick up some good ideas that we can inculcate into the NHS and uh, develop our people uh, in, in different ways. And Jan, is that a principle you'd support about looking outwards? Absolutely. Um, this is too important to get wrong. Um, we know that leaders have a fundamental impact on patient care. The academy uh, has been set up uh, at the point of a, 
at the centre of a triangle, um, and the three points are uh, close alliance with a uh, strong research base, so our programmes are evidence-based. The second point of the triangle is learning from the best internationally on healthcare, and we know that we can learn from other sectors uh, too, but the, the, the focus will be around learning from other people who provide healthcare. We know we're a complex business. And the third is this uh, uh, link, as Dean's been talking about, with learning from the best, whoever they may be. So we are currently talking to a number of other companies um, who surprisingly want to learn from us. And I think that's the important point, you know, whilst we have a long way to go, we're, all, we all, we're also very good at doing some things, including leadership development now. We just need to get better at it. So this is a symbiotic relationship. And, and if we can get that triangle right and we can get the research uh, and evidence base and we can learn from elsewhere in healthcare and we can learn from best commercial practice, what a fantastic place to be for our patients. That's really helpful. And Dean, do we need to leave it all to the NHS Leadership Academy? Is there anything that organisations could be doing more locally to support leadership development, do you think? Absolutely. I mean, the Leadership Academy, as Jan explained, is there to support leaders throughout organisations. But I know that Jan will recognise that people can't abdicate the responsibility for what they do in the organisation. So there's a national organisation that's here to support us. So that's nothing to... Uh, do with us. So I think uh, individual NHS organisations will be concentrating uh, on their own uh, leadership capacity and capability and how they develop and support uh, staff in the work that they uh, do. Uh, in, in particular, uh, that we know that where we've got uh, staff well led, uh, that they are more likely to feel engaged in the work that they uh, do. And we know from all the uh, academic research that where we've got engaged staff, then we get better patient outcomes, whether that's in the quality of care, uh, the financial performance of organisations, or even just simple things like reducing the amount of sickness absence. So, uh, organisations recognise that there's a um, you know a, a huge benefit in looking at their uh, organisations, looking at its capacity, and then seeing where they can apply uh, their leadership development activity within those organisations in conjunction with the things that go on nationally through organisations like the Leadership Academy. Thank you very much. I mean, you've both been fantastic. And if, if it's possible to end on a, a more personal note, I'd, I'd like to do that now. And just to reflect on who've been the leaders in the course of your career that have had the greatest influence on you? And why do you think that was, Jan? Thanks, Sue. <laughs> uh, that's a really good question. Um, <clears throat> so I'm not somebody who goes out uh, um, and talks about people that I don't really know. So when I've done this before, people said to me, who, you, who, who do you respect? And I, and I tell the story of people that have touched me personally. Um, so I've been really lucky to have worked with fantastic people in the NHS and before that in a previous career. And these are uh, individuals that I've seen, not necessarily my boss or senior players, but individuals that have changed my world. So as you were talking, I was thinking about a lady called Sue, another Sue, who was a housing manager in a housing association where I worked. And Sue was fantastic. Her skill in taking really difficult problems with very chaotic people, and who are living, living very chaotic lives, and who she was able to galvanize a lot of resources around them, and somehow magically, almost painlessly and seamlessly, would transform their lives. And I was in awe of this woman who 
just did it as a matter of course and she worked really hard and she was a fantastic person besides loads of different interests. So I can think of Sue, I can think of a number of other people that I've been blessed with and um, for, for me uh, most of them had passion and they had integrity. So when I think about you know, what they meant, they really believed in what they were doing and they, and they led their lives in a way that they were comfortable with despite the pressures. So I'm not going to give you any names other than a few, a few uh, first names, but there, there are a number of people I've been in touch with over the years. I'm, I feel blessed. So a, a Sue for Wisus to look up to and aspire to. Dean, people who've touched you in terms of their leadership capability. Yeah, well, I'm going to take a, a different perspective uh, uh, from Jan and, and maybe go outside of the, uh, uh, the NHS um, because anyone that works in the NHS knows what an incredibly demanding job it can be. Um, the responsibility that you have in terms of uh, patient care and the number of people that you have responsibility for can uh, sort of weigh heavily and you can sometimes think that this is a job that's almost impossible uh, to do and you can maybe lose hope and focus and uh, you know perhaps be, you know give that sort of tendency really to uh, just plod on rather than to seek uh, you know that sort of further development that you uh, uh, that you want so so people that uh, that know me will know that I uh, I grew up in uh, South Africa, so my role model, I suppose, in these uh, terms would have to be sort of Nelson Mandela uh, in this regard. So when you look at the sort of stuff that Nelson Mandela did, um, both through his early career and then being in prison for 27 years, and all the sort of things that uh, went on with him at that time, and then to come out in the dignified uh, way that he did and to uh, lead a nation um, where everyone predicted that it would all go wrong, and not in any heroic style, but just through a quiet, dignified approach and a recognition about the value of people. And I think if we can get that sort of thing right in the NHS, given the nature of the work that we do, we can look for something that's much bigger than ourselves and our organisations. Thanks, Dean. Thank you. Thank you both. I mean, two very contrasting and very different um, ideas of, of effective leaders. Very helpful. Thank you. And sadly, we've now reached the end of our time together. We hope that you've enjoyed this first podcast from NHS Employers. Many thanks to our guests, Dean Royal and Jan Sabirai, for taking part. They're both on Twitter. If you'd like to follow them, simply look for at NHSE underscore Dean or at Jan Sabirai. You may also like to have a look at our resource on Francis on the NHS Employers website. Click on the Francis Enquiry in the left-hand menu of our homepage for that. And a full list of our other podcasts, blogs, etc. can be found on our website at www.nhsemployers.org. <laughs>